in May 1061, under the cover of darkness broken up only by the stars. A handful of small transport vessels struck out from the larger fleet they'd been attached to. Slipping over the Straits of Messina from Reggio on the Italian mainland. Rolling waves of the Mediterranean lapping gently around them. Under the overall command of the Duke of Apulia, Robert Guiscard, the thousands of Normans prowling the decks of the still stationary larger vessels had been eyeing up the island of Sicily for decades. And now, after major victories throughout the 1050s, they'd been legitimized by the Pope in Rome to reconquer the island from the Arab Emirate that had held it for two centuries. An ancient land of mountain valleys and crystal blue seas. As dawn rose over the bay, the Arab and Berber defenders on the coast saw little difference in the main fleet. Still loudly preparing for an invasion of their island. Lombard stable boys tending to fierce war horses. Greek mariners hoisting sails, and above all, Norman knights sharpening swords and joking with each other on deck. All seemed normal. Down by the shore, meanwhile, obscured by sand dunes and tall grass, the men on the little boats moved quickly and carefully. They knew the winding paths and twisting gullies of the coastline well, having already raided in the area twice over the past year. Some of them may have even been veterans from the last Christian attempt to retake the island, under the Byzantine general George Maniakes in 1040. A lot had changed in the two decades since that attack. Whereas those grizzled veterans had been fighting under the command of William Ironarm as mercenaries in pay of the Emperor, the new Norman leaders had struck out on their own. Since superseding the Byzantines as the foremost power in the region, gaining legitimacy from the Pope after their expert manoeuvres in the power politics of the region. And now, after testing the waters, they had come to try their luck where the Byzantines had failed. Without warning, the elite force of Norman warriors came charging out of the sands to besiege the provincial capital of Messina. As far as the defenders were concerned, the Norman invasion force was still out at sea, blockaded in place and unable to land. They were taken completely unawares. The force was double the size of the ones that had tried their luck before, though still relatively small at around 300 men. Yet what they lacked in numbers, they made up for in sheer ferocity and daring. Not expecting an attack so suddenly, the town was completely unprepared to defend itself, and by day's end, the city 
had fallen under Norman control. Just days later, the leader of the main fleet, Robert Guiscard, arrived with his army in order to mop up resistance in the region. If they surrendered and submitted to Norman rule, the people here were left largely unharmed, even free to practice their own religions. Though, if they chose to fight, they were dealt with ruthlessly. The taking of Messina was the first piece in one of the most extraordinary conquests in history. For the Normans, it was a daring adventure to strike out and seize new lands. To the Arabs, it was the first act in a centuries-long struggle for supremacy in the Eastern Mediterranean. A conflict that wouldn't truly end until the age of empire in the 18th century. The Crusades had begun. The mastermind and leader of that daring raid was the youngest of the Hauteville brothers, Roger. 16 years younger than Guiscard, quieter, more thoughtful and less aggressive than his brothers. Perhaps an unlikely candidate for rule, yet the man who would ultimately establish a dynasty in the region that would outlive all others eventually forging one of the most prosperous kingdoms in all of Europe. This is the story of Roger de Hauteville, father of kings, known simply in his later years as the Great Count, and the Norman conquest of Sicily. Oh hi, I didn't see you there. Pete Kelly here, broadcasting live to your world from History Time Manor, 20,000 miles beneath the Earth's surface. <laughs> I'm delighted to announce that this video is sponsored by Magellan TV, a long-time supporter of the channel. Let's take a look. Magellan TV. A bit like Netflix, but entirely for knowledge. This educational streaming service has over 2,000 documentaries to choose from on all manner of different subjects. History, science, nature, culture and geography. Including films, series and standalone documentaries you can't find anywhere else. You can watch Magellan TV anywhere at any time on any device. And it even streams in beautiful 4K through the easily downloadable app. There are no ads or limited access at any time, and new documentaries are added on a weekly basis. Those of you who head on over to try.magellantv.com forward slash history time, or follow my link in the description below, will get a completely free trial. So... Why not go and check out this epic series on the Normans once you've finished this video? It follows on chronologically from this one and many others that I've made and is a great introduction to this influential people whose actions changed the world. Head on over and get yourself some free knowledge. Now, without further ado, back to medieval Europe. 
was during the mid-1050s, in the Frankish vassal duchy of Normandy, that a young knight named Roger, the twelfth son of a minor regional lord, met a young heiress by the name of Judith. The two soon fell in love, yet Roger was a landless son with no future in Normandy, and Judith the daughter of one of Duke William's closest confidants. Judith's father, William Devereux, would have nothing to do with the young knight, until he could at least provide a substantial dowry for marriage. With no opportunities to speak of in Normandy, besides a career in the church, or the remote possibility of eventually inheriting his father's meagre estates on the Cotentin Peninsula, Roger opted to follow in the footsteps of his elder brothers, and set out with a small retinue of fighting men to the new favourite destination of landless Norman knights looking to make a name for themselves. Italy. Luckily for Roger, he just so happened to be the youngest brother of the famous mercenary commanders William Ironarm and Robert Guiscard. Two ruthless warlords who had both already been active in Italy for decades. Along with several other sons of Tancred of Hauteville, as well as other families. Little did he or any of his contemporaries know it at the time, but by travelling to Italy in search of fortune and glory, Roger would eventually eclipse the deeds of nearly every other Norman in history. Catapulting him to equal status to that of the Duke of Normandy himself and in time leading to the formation of an independent kingdom in the south, one of the most prosperous and powerful in all of Europe. Like most figures from this time period, we don't know when Roger was born, though it was likely sometime during the 1030s a time when his eldest brothers were already well on the way to establishing reputations for themselves on both sides of the continent. Roger was the twelfth and youngest son of the petty Norman lord Tancred de Hauteville, an obscure figure yet one who quite remarkably fathered twelve adult sons, all of whom would rise to prominence in their own right. Upon coming of age in mid-1057, Roger followed his brothers to seek his own fortune in the south. If you want to hear more on the initial Norman conquests in Italy and elsewhere, I have an entire playlist on the Normans, which you can check out here. And don't forget to subscribe. Upon arrival, Rather than the warm welcome he might have hoped for, his brothers made it clear from the start that Roger would have to make his own way in the world. 
Charity was not the Norman way, and no handouts were forthcoming, nor were they probably expected. Over time, however, Roger proved himself to be an able-bodied commander and was accepted into the inner circle of his brother, Robert Guiscard, the foremost Norman in Italy at the time, after his victory over a coalition raised by the Pope in 1053. Although when he needed to be, he was just as ruthless in warfare as his elder brothers. Roger also showed himself to be a master of diplomacy, generally tending to avoid battle if at all possible. This trait of thoughtfulness would eventually prove to be the decisive factor during his later conquest of Sicily. A land filled with competing factions. By 1062, after five years of living as a robber bandit out of his castle at Scalea, Roger managed to manoeuvre himself to such a position of power and ultimately usefulness to Guiscard that they agreed to divide the newly conquered territory of Calabria equally between them. Yet Roger was by no means content to settle for Calabria. He had greater ambitions just across the channel, on the island of Sicily. This two-pronged assault continued relentlessly over the next decades, as Roger moved into Sicily and Robert continued to conquer the mainland. It was also around this time that Judith d'Evreux, Roger's childhood sweetheart, and the very reason he'd travelled to Italy in the first place, arrived in the province along with her father after he had fallen out of favour with Duke William. No longer the poor son of a lesser Norman family, the two were married immediately in one of the few happy marital arrangements in the history of medieval Europe. Yet Roger had little time to enjoy marital life, almost immediately returning to his Sicilian campaign. By May 1061, Robert and Roger combined their forces together to cross over the channel to Sicily. Not just to raid, but to set up a permanent base. At the time, the island was ruled over by an Islamic dynasty called the Kalbids whose ancestors had conquered their realm from the staging post of North Africa around two centuries earlier. Its population, however, was still mostly made up of Greek-speaking Christians, former subjects of the Byzantine Empire. Yet, it was actually the North African Zirid dynasty, based at Tunis, where the Kalbids had first originated from, that would provide the impetus for the invasion. Relations between the two states had deteriorated over the years to the point of warfare. And just like he had already done with the Lombards, Roger's aim was to exploit this disunity for his own benefit.
with help from his brother Robert, he was able to seize the important regional city of Messina on the north coast. A power base which he would then use to launch continual raids and conquests deep into the interior in the years that followed. Gradually, piece by piece, settlement by settlement, bringing the island under Norman control. Yet, it was clear from the beginning that Roger would have to conduct the conquest, for the most part, on his own. Robert had bigger fish to fry with his own conquest of the mainland, and, as time went on, his conflict with the Eastern Roman Empire. For he had the imperial throne on his mind. Probably the most astonishing incident of Roger's life, and maybe even the whole Norman conquest of Italy, occurred in June 1063, when the Calbids and the Zirids finally set aside their differences to cast out Roger and his Normans once and for all. At Sarami, in the centre of the island, a huge combined force, potentially numbering in the tens of thousands, succeeded in catching Roger relatively unawares whilst on a raiding party. Accompanied by only a few hundred mounted heavy cavalry and a few hundred infantry, Roger's elite warriors nonetheless held their ground against the relentless assault, which, although numerous, lacked discipline and unity, being made up of two previously warring states. After a devastating, customary Norman cavalry charge forced the attacking warriors back, Roger pushed on into the entire enemy army, causing it to rout in disarray and leading to massive casualties. The Battle of Sarami had the effect of fully establishing Roger as a legend in the eyes of his Norman kinsmen and as a terrible foe to be reckoned with to his enemies. As more and more Normans flocked to his course, Roger increasingly found himself coming into contact with Greek-speaking Christian subjects, as well as Muslims. Rather than incite further unrest and political instability in his newly conquered territories, he offered religious freedom to Sicilians, expertly implementing both Muslims and Orthodox Christians into his fledgling state. In 1072, this merging of cultures became even more pronounced when the important metropolis of Palermo was finally conquered. Again with the help of Robert Guiscard, who afterwards formally invested his brother as the Count of Sicily, a title preliminarily granted to him by the Pope years before, prior to any Catholic presence on the island. Though the arrangement between the two brothers also meant that Robert retained control of Palermo and various other Sicilian territories for the time being, thus somewhat stifling Roger's campaigns for a time. Month by month, year by year, 
As more and more land came under Roger's control, more and more Normans flocked to join his cause, particularly after Robert's death in 1085, which meant Roger was now the foremost power in the south. Upon arrival in Sicily, these newcomers might have been shocked at first to see large numbers of Greek and Muslim soldiers levied from the small folk now fighting for the Count. Yet over time, these men would eventually become the backbone of the Sicilian army, as loyal as they come, bolstering and supporting the ever-present core of Norman heavy cavalrymen. In March 1086, the city of Syracuse finally surrendered, bringing tens, if not hundreds of thousands of Greek, Berber and Arabic people under Roger's rule. Again, he allowed these citizens to continue living much as they had before the conquest, provided they pledged their loyalty to him and his men. Which, generally, they did, unswervingly, largely due to Roger's reputation. Finally, in 1091, the last Arabic stronghold of Noto yielded, bringing the entire island of Sicily under Norman control. Meanwhile, on the mainland, Robert didn't live to see his brother's success. Dying in 1085, after completing his own conquest of Italy and moving onwards to the Balkan coastline to take on the Byzantine heartlands. Though Robert's illegitimate son, Bohemund, who had been campaigning at his father's side at the time of his death, was the obvious choice to succeed him as Duke of Calabria and Apulia, Robert had instead named his half-Lombard son, Roger Borsa, as his successor before his death. In an effort to fuse together the warring Lombard and Norman elements of his realm into one nation. The Great Count supported his brother's wishes, pledging his service to Roger Borsa against Bohemund. Perhaps realising that the latter was a far more capable commander, and immediately set about ravaging his half-brother's lands. In chaos came opportunity. Of course, the Great Count's support had not been entirely charitable. In return for military aid, Borsa was forced to cede control of various castles in Calabria as well as any claim on territory in Sicily. Finally yielding his inheritance in Palermo to his uncle in 1091, just as Bohemund continued to grow in power and renown. The conflict between the two brothers ultimately had the effect of cementing the great count's vice grip over Sicily, further consolidating his position as the strongest Norman ruler in the region and his state, the most powerful. In 1091, in possibly the most famous exploit of his long career, Roger amassed a large navy and set sail to conquer the island of Malta.
extensively as a preventative measure against an Arab attack from North Africa. This would be the first instance of the Sicilian Navy in action, a mainstay in the defence and offence of the island for centuries to come. Upon landing, the army encountered little resistance from the locals. And once they reached the capital of Medina, terms were discussed rather than swords drawn. In a characteristically public show of his statesmanship, according to the historical sources, the conquest remained an entirely bloodless affair. The local leadership, being allowed to retain its position in return for tributary status to Sicily. In one famous incident, large amounts of Christian prisoners were allegedly released from prison to reverence chants of Christian prayer and song. Upon leaving Malta, the fleet apparently had so many new passengers that Roger's flagship nearly sank. Now, well over three decades after first arriving in Italy, and politically supreme in Sicily, Roger had surpassed every other landless Norman knight in Europe. Not only had he achieved fame and fortune, but he was now the undisputed master of a vast, sprawling state, made up of various different cultures and ethnicities. Roger was a better administrator than any of his brothers, and arguably even Duke William of Normandy, now King of England far to the north. Rather than allow regional lords a share in the power, and thus threaten the stability of the state, Roger preferred to rule in an absolutist manner. Unlike his brother and nephews in Italy, and King William and his successors in England, no feudal revolt of any importance arose during his reign. As a new influx of Lombard and Norman settlers arrived in Sicily by the year 1100, Roman Catholicism gradually became the dominant religion. Though Orthodox Christians and Muslims were allowed to continue to practice their faiths, in the cities, Muslims retained their mosques, their freedom of trade, and their traditions. Likewise, Roger sponsored the construction of at least 12 Greek Orthodox monasteries. Though in the countryside, as everywhere else, Greek and Muslim peasants became serfs, tied to the land. By the end of the 1090s, the makeup of Roger's army had changed so much that when Saint Anselm visited his camp at the Siege of Capua in 1098, conducted to put the former Norman Prince of Capua, Richard II, back on his power base after he was overthrown by a Norman Lord, Anselm found the tents of the Arabs innumerable. Roger's relations with the various Muslim powers of the Western Mediterranean became so amicable 
largely due to the extremely lucrative trade links now open with the relatively peaceful Fatimids of North Africa and the Middle East, Roger and his state remained neutral during the First Crusade. By the time of his death in 1101, Roger now presided over a multicultural powerhouse of a state, and one which would only grow in power over the coming decades. His successor, Roger II, born in 1095, just prior to his father's death, carried on the legacy of the Great Count, eventually succeeding in merging all of the Norman conquests in Italy and Sicily into a single kingdom. ruled over from his capital of Palermo, a huge metropolis. Creating amazing artworks and feats of literacy in the process. Its fleet dominating the Eastern Mediterranean for decades. The Kingdom of Sicily survived until the time of Napoleon, some seven centuries later. The legacy of Norman rule on the island can still be seen almost everywhere you look. Thanks for watching folks. If you enjoyed this video, I've made loads more from this same time period and will be making many more in the future. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you made it this far and check out my new channel, The Entire History of the Earth, that I've been making with my brother David at Voices of the Past. You can go watch the first two episodes now, and I'll see you on the next one.